Section 20 of Stupor Mundi, The Life and Times of Frederick II by Lionel Alshorn. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 10, The Second Excommunication, Part 2. This furious and unveracious tirade was spread abroad throughout Europe by the Franciscan and Dominican friars, who were the invaluable spies, agents, and preachers of the papacy. They could influence the common mass of people, which the emperor could not reach, and exercised a powerful sway over the superstitions of the ignorant. Of how the Pope's accusations were regarded in England, we can read in Matthew Paris. This letter, he writes, struck fear and dread as well as astonishment to the hearts of those of the true faith, and rendered the emperor's letter suspected, though the latter contained probable facts and also re-established the minds of many who had formerly been in a wavering state. And had it not been that the Roman avarice had alienated the devotion of people from the Pope more than was expedient and proper, the whole world would have been exasperated by this letter and would have risen unanimously against the emperor as the open enemy of Christ and the Church. But alas, many sons have been estranged from their father, and adhering to the cause of the emperor, they asserted that inextinguishable hatred, now become hardened between them, excited the aforesaid strife and invectives. The Pope said unjustly that he loved the said Frederick and advanced his interests at the beginning of his promotion, for all this was done out of hatred to Otto, whom the Church, with Frederick's assistance, prosecuted to death, because, according to his oath, he endeavored by force to assemble together the scattered portions of the empire, as the present Emperor Frederick is also endeavoring to do. Wherefore, by doing this, Frederick fought for the Church, and fought so again in Palestine, and the Roman Church was more bound by obligations to him than the Emperor was to the Roman Church. The Church in the West, especially the orders of religious men, and the Church of England, which was of all things most devoted to God, felt the daily oppressions of the Roman Church, but it had never as yet felt any from the Emperor. The people, too, added, What is the meaning of this? In times past, the Pope accused the Emperor of believing in Mohammed and the Saracenic law more than in Christ and the Christian faith. But now in his abusive letter he accuses him, horrible to relate, of calling Mohammed as well as Jesus and Moses an impostor. In his letters the emperor writes humbly and in a Catholic manner of God, except that in this last one he derogates from the person of the Pope, not from the office. Nor does he utter or support anything profane or heretical, as we know of as yet, and he has not sent usurers or plunderers of our revenue amongst us. And in this way a schism, much to be dreaded, rose amongst the people. The emperor, in his reply to Gregory's invective, also resorted to the apocalypse for picturesque terms of abuse. He, in name only the pope, has called us the beast that arose out of the sea whose name was blasphemy, spotted as the panther. We in turn aver that he is the beast of whom it is written, and there went out another horse that was red, and power was given to him that sat thereon to take away peace from the earth, that the living should slay each other. For from the time of his accession this father, not of mercies but of discords, not of consolation but of desolation, has plunged the whole world in bitterness. 
if we rightly interpret the words, he is the great Antichrist who has deceived the world, the Antichrist of whom he declares us the forerunner. He is the second Balaam, hired by money to curse us, the prince of the princes of darkness who have abused the prophecies. He is the angel who issued from the abyss, having the vials of wormwood to waste earth and heaven. This false vicar of Christ accuses us of saying that the world has been deceived by three impostors. Far be such blasphemies from our lips, for we believe that Jesus Christ is the only begotten Son of God, co-eternal and co-equal with the Father and the Holy Ghost. But we believe that Mohammed's body is hanging in the air tormented by devils, and that his soul has been given to hell, since his works were dark and against the law of the Most High. We say that Moses was the friend of God, and that he is now in heaven. In these and other matters our accuser has put forth lying and poisonous statements against us. The Pope is jealous of our success in Lombardy. Over this he groans. Let him confine himself to offering up the host and to burning incense. We reverence the Church, but we disapprove of her ministers. Unless you can restrain our enemy, Augustus will be driven to revenge. We have it from Matthew Paris that the following prophetic writing was actually found in the Pope's bedchamber. Who it was that it had the temerity to invade that sacred apartment on such a mission was never discovered, but doubtless it was the work of a secret partisan of the emperors among the papal household. The prophecy, expressed in Latin verse, ran thus, By stars, by flights of birds, by fate we see, of all the world one man shall hammer be. Rome totters through a maze of errors led, and of the world shall cease to be the head. Gregory at any rate attributed the authorship of the verses to Frederick, and replied in the following couplet, The fates, the scripture, and your sins foretell your doom, short life, and everlasting hell. So the war of words continued, waged on both sides with equal acrimony, but by Gregory with a far more wanton disregard of the truth than his opponent. Men throughout Christendom were amazed and bewildered by the furious controversy, but the mass of opinion was on the side of Frederick. Gregory sought in vain for foreign support. England, which under its feeble King Henry, and under John before him, had allowed its wealth to be drained into the papal coffers, became restive when required to furnish the Pope with money to prosecute his schemes against the Emperor. The prelates flatly refused to accede to the demands of the legatato. The greedy avarice of Rome, they said, has exhausted the English Church. It will not even give it breathing time. We can submit to no further exactions. The monasteries more docile yielded to Otto's extortions, but the sum thus collected fell far below Gregory's expectations. In France, he met with a still more severe rebuff. He endeavored to secure the military alliance of Saint-Louis by offering to depose Frederick in favor of Louis's brother Robert. But the pious king received the tempting suggestion in the most inhospitable manner. Whence this pride and audacity of the Pope, he answered, who thus presumes to disinherit and depose a king who has no superior nor even an equal among Christians? 
a king neither convicted by others nor by his own confession of the crimes laid to his charge. Even if those crimes were proved, no power could depose him but a general council. On his transgressions, the judgment of his enemies is of no weight, and his deadliest enemy is the Pope. To us he has not only thus far appeared guiltless, he has been a good neighbor. We see no cause for suspicion either of his worldly loyalty or his Catholic faith. This we know, that he has fought valiantly for our Lord Jesus Christ both by sea and land. So much religion we have not found in the Pope, who endeavored to confound and wickedly supplant him in his absence while he was engaged in the cause of God. We do not wish to throw ourselves into such great dangers as to attack such a powerful prince as this said Frederick, whom so many kingdoms would assist against us, and who would give their support in a just cause. If the Pope should conquer him by our means or the help of others, he would trample on all the princes of the world, assuming the horns of boasting and pride, since he had conquered the great Emperor Frederick. The nobles of France also demonstrated in which direction their sympathies lay. They sent ambassadors to Frederick, informed him of the Pope's intentions to raise up a rival emperor, and asked him formally to deny the charges of heresy brought against him. May Jesus Christ grant that I never depart from the faith of my ancestors, was Frederick's reply. The Lord judge between me and the man who has thus defamed me before the world the god of vengeance recompense him as he deserves. If you are prepared to make war against me, I will defend myself to the utmost of my power. God forbid, answered the ambassadors, that we should wage war on any Christian without just cause. To be the brother of the king of France is sufficient honor for the noble Robert. In Germany the papal machinations were received with a still more outspoken disdain, the intrusion of the papal legate Albert von Beham, a ferocious and venal cleric, aroused furious opposition against his master. Let this Roman priest feed his own Italians, cried one prelate. We who are set by God as dogs to watch our own folds will keep off all wolves in sheep's clothing. Still more audacious was the angry protest of the Archbishop of Salzburg. Hildebrand, one hundred and seventy years ago, under the semblance of religion, laid the foundations of Antichrist. He who is the servant of servants would be the Lord of Lords. This accursed man, whom men are wont to call Antichrist, on whose contumelious forehead is written, I am God, I cannot err, sits in the temple of God and pretends to universal dominion. The lay princes were no less hostile than their spiritual brethren. It was no light matter, they bade the Pope remember, to harass the emperor of the Romans. As for his attempt to raise up another emperor, it was beyond his right. His function was only to crown the man whom they, the princes, might choose. Even Frederick of Austria laughed the excommunication to scorn. The king of Bohemia, sided with Gregory for a short time, and Otto of Bavaria was lured away from his allegiance by the perilous but tempting bait of the imperial crown. They offered, however, no serious menace to Frederick, and the rest of Germany stood loyal. The emperor issued one more proclamation to the princes with the object of assuring them that his antagonism was directed 
not against the church but its unworthy head. Since my ancestors, the Caesars lavished wealth and dignity on the popes. They have become the emperor's most implacable enemies. Because I will not recognize his sole unlimited power and honor him more than God, he, himself the Antichrist, brands me, the truest friend of the church, as a heretic. Who can wish more than I that the Christian community should resume its majesty, simplicity, and peace? But this cannot be until a fundamental evil, the ambition, the pride, and prodigality of the Bishop of Rome be rooted up. I am no enemy of the priesthood. I honor the priest, the humblest priest, as a father, if he will keep aloof from secular affairs. The Pope cries out that I would root out Christianity, with force and by the sword. Folly! As if the kingdom of God could be rooted out by force and by the sword. It is by evil lusts, by avarice and rapacity, that it is weakened, polluted, corrupted. Against these evils it is my mission of God to contend with the sword. I will give back to the sheep their shepherd, to the people their bishop, to the world its spiritual father. I will tear the mask from the face of this wolfish tyrant, and force him to lay aside worldly affairs and earthly pomp, and tread in the holy footsteps of Christ. Brave words these, and a high purpose, but that which one man thought to accomplish in his latter years, the centuries have scarcely been able to fulfill. End of section 20